is a common refrain in the cybersecurity community. You cannot protect what you cannot see. Asset management is the foundation of most cybersecurity activities. How essential is it? Asset management is the first category in the NIST cybersecurity framework. Unfortunately, implementing this process in a timely and efficient manner has been one of the cybersecurity industry's major challenges. So why is it important and how can you achieve it? Uh, welcome back, everybody, to the ICS Pulse podcast. I am one of your hosts, Gary Cohen. The other host is... Tyler Wall. I'm back again, baby. <laughs> Thanks for being with us again. This is our, uh, our for us, the last podcast of the great year 2022. Uh, you guys are probably listening to this at the beginning of the hopefully even better year 2023. Should be an interesting show today. We're talking about with our guest about asset management, one of the foundational pieces of cybersecurity and something that people struggle with. Like I said at the beginning, you can't protect if you can't protect it if you don't know you have it. Uh, and our guest today is um, I'm going to make him sound fancy. He's Major Yair Atar. He's a co-founder and CTO of Atorio, uh, a company that works with security challenges in OT environments. Very interesting guy. Um, and yeah, as asset management's a big deal. We're going to talk about that. We'll also kind of wrap up the 2022 year in cybersecurity and uh, some of our top articles on ICS Pulse. So should be a fun podcast today. Absolutely. And as always, we got to start it off with one of my favorite questions. Always got to ask the questions. So the standard Tyler Wall question of the, uh, not of the day, of the pod. Of the pod, yeah, of every other week. Uh, so this past holiday season what was your most favorite gift that you received i can say this because my kids don't listen i'd have to say the gift from the kids if they were listening they're not old enough to care about cybersecurity. so uh unquestionably i got a sound bar for my tv in the living room i don't have like surround sound or any of that and i've been wanting i've been thinking i might want one for a while and i now have one and it was well worth it i uh Saw that Top Gun Maverick was available for free through Xfinity. Turned that on. Turned the thing up. It sounds really good. I'm very happy with it. I'm sure in two weeks I won't care anymore. It'll just be a thing that I have. But right now, every time I watch a movie, it's pretty exciting. How about you? Oh, yeah. Um, for me, I gotta say, you know, I for the past six months I haven't had a vacuum. So receiving a vacuum for Christmas has really been the gift that keeps on giving. Uh. That was a satisfying little vacuum around the living room on the day I got back here. So I got to be that. honest with you, that's a little alarming to me because I know you've lived in this apartment for many, many months now. I have. Um, and finally, it is not as crunchy. So it's it's a great time to own a vacuum. Let me tell you what. <laughs> uh, I, I wouldn't consider that a fun gift. It's a good practical gift. But, uh, but you know, when you don't have one. It's worth it. Right, exactly. So um, this year hasn't really been, like last year, there were major hacks that happened that seemed to capture the public's imagination, the non-cybersecurity industries, whether it was Old Oldsmar, SolarWinds, Colonial, all of those. Um, but certainly 2022, the number of attacks has not gone down. They've been, it's been just as active of a year. Um Phishing has been a, a big thing this year. Ransomware has been a big thing this year. Ransomware as a service continues to be a big thing. Um, but I think a lot of the, the 2022 
year in review cybersecurity story has come from Russia's invasion into Ukraine. I mean, so, so there's been so many hacking stories on both sides, really, that have come out since that. But, you know, Russia has been hitting Ukraine with brutal attacks for years. I mean, they, you know, took out the Ukrainian power grid several years ago, um, meddling elections, destroying data, all sorts of things have been happening. And then now that there is a military action going on there, now that Russia has invaded Ukraine and is trying to subjugate the people of Ukraine and the, you know, that there's been a pretty regimented series of, of cyber attacks through there. So that's, and I think not only is that causing problems in both Russia and Ukraine, but it's had everybody on high alert worldwide because it's, you know, the, the global community being what it is, hacking one country, releasing malware, whatever it is, it generally isn't um, constrained to one country at this point. And, you know, if, if the U.S. is giving aid to Ukraine, then that makes the U.S. a target. So that the Russia's invasion into Ukraine has been, I think, one of the bigger cybersecurity stories of this year, because it's it's not just impacting those two countries, it's impacting countries all around the world. Yeah, right. And I mean, even add like just shortly after um, all of the Russia-Ukraine crisis things started, uh, the uh, U.S. government instituted or reinstituted, I should say, you can't see the air quotes because this is obviously an audio only podcast, but um, they reinstituted the Bureau of Cyberspace and Digital Policy, which you can kind of infer was because of that. And that was really meant to just help mitigate cyberspace, as it as it says. But we did we talked to one of our friends of the podcast, and even further, dare I say, friends of the site, industrialcybersecuritypolice.com. Uh, we talked to Richard Robinson of Synalytica, and he expressed that he doesn't really think that it's going to change that much because it is a government entity that uh, just like the habits aren't really there. Like it's a lot of talk and that's been the case throughout history with a lot of these bureaus that kind of come to light. And yeah, so when he was kind of asked about uh, the initiative having, especially an impact on protecting critical infrastructure, they said that, it, or he said that it would basically have almost nothing. So yeah, I think there, that's, reality. I think that's an issue with a lot of, uh, of government actions. I mean, obviously they're, they're trying to do the right thing. They've, recognized a need and are trying to fill in that need and hopefully this will be a, steps along the path to more robust cybersecurity in the country but but a lot of times and from the people that we've talked to including Richard Robinson the it's it's a little bit of a physician heal thyself situation in that the government cybersecurity is not that strong so it's you know, everybody needs to get better practices in place, but it definitely starts at the top with the government. It does. And a lot of that, again, a lot of this critical infrastructure that needs to be protected always seems to be boiling down to OT security. And so it's just like we've talked about in previous episodes, just making sure legacy OT systems are being updated as best as they can, replaced, and all of that good, juicy jazz. <laughs> One other thing I wanted to talk about today before we jump into our guest, um, jump into our guest. That's a really weird way to phrase that. Before we welcome our guest to the podcast. There it is. So Sorry, Yair Atar. I didn't mean <laughs> to say that about um, is some of the top articles that we have on our site. So a little plug for the site. Obviously, you're here. You're listening to the podcast. So you must like us a little bit. 
Uh, we got a couple of articles right at the end of 2022 that are pretty interesting. We're doing a couple of year in review articles with our top 10 articles of the year. So we've got one. Uh, every Thursday, we release a throwback attack. We've talked about those before, where we look at a historical cyber attack and what happened, why it happened, how it happened, any lessons that can be learned from that attack. We've been doing those since the site was launched, and those have been some of our more popular articles. So we did a top 10 throwbacks of the year, and then we, uh, we're we also doing our top 10 articles of the year, non-throwback edition. So those are, uh, by the time you're listening to this, those are probably up on the site. Check them out. But I thought we'd talk about uh, the top throwback attack and the top non-throwback attack articles. So these are the ones that uh, have gotten the most traffic on the site, which means you guys are reading these more than any other article on the site. Um, top throwback attack article of the year, not surprisingly, written by our friend Daniel Capano, was about uh, not Petcha. It's a throwback attack, how not Petcha accidentally took down global shipping giant Maersk. And uh, this was in 2017, was a, a, a major attack. Again, obviously Maersk, a, a worldwide shipping giant, um, and started, you know, they started seeing messages on their system saying that their file systems were being repaired. Others got messages saying that their files had been encrypted. And uh, as usual, a, a Bitcoin payment was demanded. Um, ultimately, it set off a panic at Maersk. Uh, phone networks, computer systems, all were kind of rendered useless as this malware is not just spread uh, and shut down the company. And I mean, it's, it, you know, Maersk is... No small target. They are uh, responsible for 76 ports around the globe, more than 800 vessels carrying essentially one fifth of global trade. So you attack this company, you're attacking quite a bit. Um, and then, you know, not Petcha was not, it wasn't like um, Maersk was the only company that was hit. It, within hours of it being out there, the malware kind of raced around the world and infected computers everywhere. Uh, FedEx got in back, TNT Express, Maersk, a bunch of companies. So this was a big one. Dan Capano takes a pretty deep dive into what happened, um, why it happened, uh, how Mar Maersk responded, and kind of looks at the future of, of what he calls cyber warfare of, you know, companies. This was a... Uh, you know, I mean, whether you're looking for money or not, when you take down a major company like that, that's controlling one fifth of the, the shipping around the world. Um, that can create chaos around the globe. So that that is sort of an act of cyber warfare. So that was a really interesting article, uh, was our top one of the year. Finally displaced an article that had been the top article forever, which was another throwback, which was a... Uh, Florida teen who hacked the Department of Defense and NASA. That one's been up since well before 2022, but has always been one of our more popular articles, presumably because it falls into the revered category of Florida man articles. I like to think that's why it's up there, definitely. Uh, but yes, it has been dethroned, which is, that is crazy. I didn't think it would ever see the day it was in second place, but there it is. Um, and then the other, the top non-throwback article, so just the regular article, was written by M.J. Schuer. He is the, I believe, the executive director of 
CompTIA, or if you prefer the full name, Computing Technology Industry Association. He wrote us an article, fantastic one, on how to mitigate cloud security threats. And basically this article is what it sounds like. It's how to mitigate cloud security threats. That's the beauty of these how-to articles. Um, but basically the main points he kind of goes over is limiting user access to cloud security. So, you know, it's a privileged uh thing to be accessed to it just helps uh, eliminate any other outsiders that can come in, setting up multi-factor authentication. Again, it's just, you know, it could be biometric and a password. It could be a password. And if you're feeling crazy, a retinal scan or something like we're in a, trying to access a bank. But, um, and then regularly backing up company data. Of course, having a backup, so people recommend doing offsite backups, uh, physical copy backup, but just having a backup of your data is important in case something does go wrong. Like if it's a ransomware attack and you get ransomed, then you, if you have a backup of your data that's relatively recent, you might not necessarily even have to worry about the ransomware attack and more so mitigating it in the future. And then hiring cybersecurity experts is another thing that he recommends. Of course, having these experts uh, looking over your systems for any sort of uh, access point that threat actors can get to and just making sure everything is up to T and par will help ensure that your uh, attack surface is as mitigated as possible. And then conducting employee training workshops on cloud security, just making sure employees know what to do uh, in the events of some sort of cloud security hack, as well as um, best practice, breakfast? No, best practices in uh, the workplace within that. So yeah, that was a very well-written article. And it, yeah, it was the top of our um, non-throwback articles. We have to specify that because the throwbacks tend to rule the world in, in terms of our site. So seeing one, another article kind of break out amongst the amongst the other articles is nice, so. Yeah, it's an interesting article. So I mean, cloud security, obviously with digital transformation and uh, industry 4.0, all of these things, everything's getting more connected. People are using the cloud more, which obviously raises cybersecurity concerns. Um, but some of the stuff that he says in this, again, very well-written article, great advice, but it's, it's those standard steps that we talk about all the time. Um, identity protection, uh, protection, limiting user access, multi-factor authentication, uh, backing up your data, hiring a third party outside cybersecurity experts to, to audit your systems and make sure you don't have any holes, employee training so employees know not to click on phishing links and things like that. Like these are basic steps that if, whether obviously we cover industrial cybersecurity, but whether you're talking about industrial cybersecurity or not, these are basic steps that every company should be taking. And they there's some specific things in this article about the cloud and how it works with the cloud. But whether you're trying to you know protect your OT systems, information in the cloud, your IT systems, a lot of these steps are those basic cybersecurity steps that it will get you, you know, I don't I don't cite a number, but we'll get you 80% of the way. I mean, it's it's a, a a lot of what we write about come down comes down to these, you know, taking these basic cybersecurity hygiene steps. Right. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, we probably sound like broken records, like we, the amount that we say this, but yeah, it's it's the these steps that are crucial to 
just getting that baseline presence of cybersecurity in the workplace, um, whether that be a plant floor or an office, like just having these basic principles of multi-factor authentication, employee training, et cetera, et cetera, having cybersecurity experts review your systems, regular training with something else we've talked about is tabletop exercises, going through um, different scenarios of what you would do in the event of a cyber attack, who do you contact? All of that is just important to establishing a standard amongst your workplace for cybersecurity. This is going to be a much better segue than my earlier segue. Hey, speaking of basic cybersecurity practices, it probably isn't a great segue if I have to point out that it's a great segue, but I like to pat myself on the back occasionally. Uh, asset management, like we talked about at the top of this and, and our guest is going to talk about, that is one of those foundational pieces of cybersecurity. You need to know what you need to protect. You need to know what assets you have. So you know what your vulnerabilities are. You know where you're exposed. You know, you and your employees know what needs to be protected. You cannot protect what you cannot see. Uh, and so we're going to talk a lot about that today with our guest. Very, very happy to have him on with us. Major Yair Attar, he's the co-founder and CTO of Atorio, a company that solves real-world security challenges for OT environments. He leads the company's R&D and cyber teams and is responsible for developing innovative, preemptive industrial cybersecurity technologies. Uh, he, he's, he's relied on by critical infrastructure, industrial manufacturing organizations, uh, and a bunch of different industries worldwide. So very, very interesting guy. Uh, makes a really good case for why asset management needs to be part of what you are doing this year, because uh, the OT threat landscape is changing, which you'll point out. And so if you don't know what, uh, what you need to protect, you are not going to be protecting it. So very happy to have him on here. Yair, thanks so much for joining us today. Sure. Uh, thanks, uh, Gary, for having me today. And I'm really uh, excited to be here and talk about it. Sure. We'd love to get your insight. So we'll talk a little bit about asset visibility here. And let's start with how the OT threat landscape has evolved over the last few years and how and why it's become so much more dynamic. Okay. So, so I think the main driver is really the digitization and industry 4.0. Both has increased connectivity between OT systems to IT, cloud, or what used to be so-called air-gapped environments. It's not the case anymore. So this means that attack surfaces are expanding and creates new potential attack vectors that actually um, allow threat actors to exploit more easily and get to critical infrastructure environments. Now, OT networks are complex environments which comprised out of many different technology vendors, multi-generation types of solutions. So we're talking about technology from decades ago. Um, and basically this means those environments to some extent you can say are insecure by design. So vulnerabilities were already existing within the OT networks before. It's just that now they are much more connected and open to the outside world. So this interconnected nature, you could say, of these systems means that um, compromise of one part of the network or one type of digital assets can potentially cascade and affect um, throughout the entire environment. So this is for, I would say, the complexity and the challenges of really 
um, uh, the dynamic evolvement of those environments. Now, it's not just that, but also the threat landscape has been changing. To some extent, you can say that the threat landscape is also changing and growing dynamically. It becomes much more easier to attack and create an impact. Just as an example, there is a new service in town, so-called RAS, Ransomware as a Service. It's a new business model that basically you can say it's a marketplace where um, people, organizations can go in and say, I want you to go and ransomware this organization. And someone will say, I will be able to do so in X amount of money. So just as an example, in the past few years, this whole, to some extent, there were economics developed around this um, threat landscape. And if we take some statistics, within the last three years, only ransomware attacks that are on critical infrastructure have grown by more than 200%. Only in the previous years. And the ones that we know of, because there's a lot of that we're not, of course, know of. So this is just, I would say, the glance, uh, what we're seeing from the both the threat landscape, but also from the complexities of manage, managing those dynamic environments. That makes sense. Uh, so why is asset visibility important for strengthening the security posture of operational environments? And, and what's your advice for a comprehensive asset visibility? Okay. So I guess... Um, most people are familiar with the phrase that you actually uh, mentioned at the beginning, right? You, you can't protect what you don't know or what you can't see. So asset visibility is an important and maybe the first crucial phase when strengthening the, the security posture of the operational environment, because it really helps organizations to understand what they have, um, where they are located, how they are connected. This is the first step of really understanding both from an attacker perspective, but also from a defender perspective, what's my attack surface? Now, I will say that organizations should not fall in love with identifying every last byte of each asset, but it's rather really gaining extended visibility into the assets context. Now, what does it mean? It means that knowing their characteristics, relationships of assets, locations, owners, but more than that, their operational and business impact. Not all assets are equal. One can have the same assets with the same vulnerabilities, but it could with a completely different impact. Or even one can invest in um, hardening his so-called crown jewels, the most critical assets that he has, without understanding that maybe there's a much less important asset that is actually connected directly to those assets. So. I think those are the critical path or, or this is the critical path and, and those are the critical items to um, gain visibility and, and why is it important as the first step of this journey. Got it. Uh, what type of details should a security professional know about in an organization's OT environment? I mean, is there anything specific that you advise to focus on? Okay, so so I think there are four key elements that security professional or, or practitioners should know about when um, uh, managing uh, organization's OT environment. I think the first one is um, gaining the, the extended visibility, okay? Assets, are, what we just talked about, assets, their interconnectivity, their vulnerabilities, misconfigurations, and, and overall their operational context and impact. 
Now, the other thing is really um, gaining the environment security controls, um, roles and impact. How my, let's say that I have an organization, how my security controls, my already invested controls are actually configured, whether they are being leveraged to the maximum, because most organizations have invested in firewalls or EDRs or, or some controls or even just configuration that can be done better. Now, I would say that the next item is really to understand what is the residual risk, meaning what is really exposed, understanding how much risk has gone down due to those security controls in place, taking the vulnerabilities, gaps, and exposures with the controls in place in order to understand what is actually feasible from an attacker perspective. Because again, it's, it's really hard to go and, and tackle everything and, and um, I would say address every finding. It's not just not feasible. So organizations should really know how to prioritize better. And I would say that the last item is really what's the proper call to action? Because in those types of environments, compared to IT environments, patching is usually the last result and mostly even not possible in a timely manner. So there is a need to do some workarounds or find other ways to um, close those potential gaps. And this is why it's less about dealing with the vulnerability itself, rather than I would say the exploitation vector. So those in my eyes, I would say are the um, items, details that uh, a security practitioner should be uh, or should know when managing the OT security risk. What would you recommend for a company that is just now starting the journey of discovering assets and mapping their network topology? I mean, how, how should they start? So I think when entering this journey, a company needs to understand its resources to own and manage this process and technology. It's not just a technology play. I think it really starts with people. By the way, people from both sides of the organization, IT, security folks, and operational teams or engineering. Usually, one alone should not start this journey without the additional support, know-how of the other. The security space, the OT security space is, a, I would say, a place where collaboration is needed. For a lot of years, those environments were built to some extent without the security practice in mind or with the, without a lot of security mechanisms in mind. But on the contrary, when IT security folks are entering this domain, they don't always understand the consequences of taking an action. Now, besides people, the processes and workflows are a crucial part of having a successful journey. Answering questions like, what do I do with this information? How do I leverage it? And, and what is it for? And making sure this information is being gathered and can integrate into my company's processes and workflows. By the way, if resources does not exist internally, I would say that the company should take a service provider to really provide it as an assessment as a first step. Now, once those are in place, the discovery should be done automatically by technology. Starting with assets, their connectivity, their operational context, gaining extended visibility, all those types of things we discussed about. But I would say that my recommendation would be some items to keep an eye on while starting this journey is first to find a scalable technology. I've seen throughout this market and with many industrial and operational customers that in order to provide comprehensive visibility, sometimes um, there's a need or there's a saying that there's a need of many sensors from 
dozens or hundreds, it becomes impossible to scale this for the long run. So really finding a scalable solution. The second part is the, the solution itself should not create a lot of noise. Again, I've seen many solutions in the market that cause um, a lot of noise um, from those environments. Uh, and it's really hard to manage, especially if we're talking about not a lot of people that has the attention to uh, and resources to manage it. And the last thing I would say is really to find uh, a platform play technology. Since this is the only first step of the OT security journey, identifying the technology that can really help you grow and address future challenges. It means it should be able to integrate a lot of data from different data sources, exchange data with other ecosystem solutions an organization might have, serve both operational and security teams, and even automate existing workflows and processes. So I think looking forward, understanding those key items and challenges that will come in the future and trying to address them from the beginning. It doesn't mean that someone needs to solve everything but he needs to go what's the direction he's going. So I think those are the crucial parts when starting this journey. So if everybody follows your advice and, and, and takes those steps, what are the next steps that companies will need to follow after they finally establish that asset visibility? So I think that once a company has established visibility and really moving forward, I think that organizations should take a proactive risk-based approach. And, and what does it mean? So we talked about the first phase of gaining visibility in the network, understanding the assets, their connectivity, their context. Um, and again, it's, it's doing it by leveraging different um, controls, by the way, operational and security in the, in the network and integrating and creating a unified view of what's going on in the OT network. Now, once I've gained visibility, the second phase I would say is um, identifying gaps and exposures, starting from vulnerabilities to misconfigurations, segmentation gaps, open ports, anything that might be used by an attacker. By the way, sometimes I've seen that there's a big focus on uh, CVEs, uh, vulnerabilities that are harder to exploit, rather than misconfigurations like default credentials that are much more easier for an attacker to leverage and create an impact. So really identifying those gaps and, expo and exposures the third step is understanding your security controls and analyzing their effect in their network, meaning how well they are configured, how well my past investments are actually doing from firewalls to EDRs and configurations and really understanding what really is exposed. Because again, those controls can actually reduce the overall exploitation vector. So taking to the, to the next phase, it's really understanding what really is exposed and what's the, what I call the attack surface analysis. Taking the vulnerabilities, gaps and exposures with the controls in place, running attack graph simulations, understanding what an attacker can actually do, um, what's feasible from an attacker perspective. And based on that, prioritize the gaps that really matters, the risk that really matters the most. Because again, one of the challenges in cybersecurity in general, not just OT cybersecurity, is where should I start? What's the most impactful risk I should start with? And the last point, the last phase is really, okay, I now have a prioritized list of risks 
based on their impact, based on their feasibility from an attacker perspective to actually exploit them. And now the next step is to have concrete mitigation steps. What's the call to action? So really to identify what's the most cost-effective way to mitigate those exploitation vectors. Now, in OT environment, because of their sensitivity and sometimes 24-7 operation, there's a need to first go and try and find some workaround. What's the most easiest way to implement and um, maybe, for example, um, closing a port in a firewall that will reduce the overall exploitation vector, the vulnerability still will be exist, but it's going to be much more cost-effective mitigation step than actually touching the asset and changing something. So to summarize, I would say those are the steps in my eyes that are crucial as the next steps, taking it to a proactive risk-based approach. Outstanding, Yair. That's all terrific information. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you very much. Another great conversation with this time with Yair Attar of Vittorio. Uh, interesting stuff about asset management. We didn't talk a ton about asset management at the top, but we wanted to let our guest be the expert on it, which he is. But really interesting stuff. I think the uh, his talking right at the top of that interview about the changes in OT networks, how they've become much more dynamic over the last few years. The threat landscape has changed a lot. And he mentioned something that has been mentioned to us a few times by a few different people we've talked to, but, but always sticks in my brain, which is a lot of these OT machines and, and networks are what he called insecure by design, meaning they were not made with cybersecurity uh, in mind. It was not part of what they were meant to do. And so they, and, and they're, as we always talk about, Access, reliability, these are the things that are important. If you're making widgets, that machine's got to keep cranking out widgets. And so you don't want to put restraining bolts on there. They're going to make it harder. Yes, I went with Star Wars reference. They're going to make it harder for it to do its job. So they are insecure by design because they were, you can't see my air quotes, air, they were air gap. Um, and, you know, obviously that is not the case anymore. So the idea of these machines being insecure by design is always something that's really interesting to me. And um, makes a very good case for why you need to know what goes into those machines, what is on your plant floor, so you can actually make an effort toward protecting it. Exactly. Because, yeah, like he was saying, like you're saying right now, like these, this was not a concern back when some of these plant floors were being put together. Most of them, I mean, so being able to identify and realize that um, there are, when these were made, that cybersecurity was obviously not, not an issue or being connected to a network, honestly. Um, and just adapting that to modern standards, uh, whether that be through any of the given frameworks, pick one and go with it, as they say. Um, yeah, it's just, just important to ensuring that all those OT systems are protected. One other thing I do want to say before we, we wrap up this podcast and wrap up for us the year in podcasting is I'm going to actually be sincere for a moment. I, I don't do that very often. Uh, this was the year that we launched this podcast. We launched it several months ago uh, as an experiment to see if we could get 
uh, an interested audience in this. Um, we had some internal research that showed that our audience didn't really care about podcasts that much. But we thought that this would be a nice addition in the cybersecurity space. We put it out there and you guys have listened. And we really appreciate you guys making this a successful podcast so far. Uh, hopefully, we will keep cranking out content that is uh, of interest to you uh, with some great guests in 2023. But I want to thank you guys at the, uh, at, at the beginning of 2023 for you, the end of 2022 for us for listening this year and, and making this podcast work. Tyler and I are having a lot of fun doing it, a lot of fun putting it together, having mm -hmm. a lot of great conversations. So uh, thank you to everyone out there. Yeah, and to kind of reiterate that point too. Uh, yeah, I mean, podcasts are very much an up and coming space. At least they still are, and they're still growing. So it was a little bit of a risk to kind of put this out there. But I mean, yeah, we're very glad that we have grown the audience that we do have um especially with as many question marks as we did kind of have going into it too so yes of course thank you for tuning in and listening to gary and i gary and i talk about whatever we want to talk about and the beauties of cybersecurity, and then actually listen to the real people talk for the real part of it and then listen to us one more time on the exit right we blather on and then uh Hope that you'll stick with us long enough to get to the guest who actually has some good, useful information for you. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, thank you for tuning in this year. And we can't wait uh, to show you what we got in store for next year in 2023, or I guess this year for you when you're listening to it, this year of 2023. Get used to writing that on the papers. Um, anyways, if you have any questions for us, you want to be on the podcast, it, um, you can reach out to us on Twitter. Our handle is at ICS underscore pulse. If you want to reach out to us individually, uh, I am Tyler Wall, T Wall at CFEmedia.com. And Gary and is. I am uh, G Cohen, G C O H E N at CFEmedia.com. And as always, for more great content exactly like this, you can visit us at industrialcybersecuritypulse.com, where, as I just said, you will find some magical content that will change your life forever, ranging from different articles that we've written, different articles that others have written that are more knowledgeable than us, uh, expert interview videos, et cetera, et cetera. Go ahead and visit us there. And thank you for joining us on this ride for the last two quarters or so of 2022 and we can't wait for you guys to see what we have in store in 2023 and again check out those top 10 articles of the year those are uh we're fun to put together and it was fun to look back at uh, what you guys found most interesting this year that's uh, i think that's it for this one thanks for being with us that wraps up 2022 yep see you guys in 2023